Hello and welcome along to the Southampton audio programme for today's fixture against Bristol City. In today's issue, we have a feature interview, a look over the opposition, but first, a word from your manager. Dear Saints fans, welcome back to St Mary's as we host Bristol City in the middle of a busy week in the Skybet Championship. We extend a warm welcome to Liam Manning, his coaching staff and players, and to the travelling fans. Liam did a really good job with MK Dons and Oxford United, who he left in the automatic promotion spots in League One, so he fully deserves this opportunity to work in the Championship. Coming off the back of the November international break, this is always the period in the season when this league becomes more relentless than ever, as the games come thick and fast leading up to Christmas. That's something we're ready and prepared for, and it's going to take a huge effort from everybody, the players who have been playing regularly, the players who are itching to play more, and the players who will definitely be needed, the sports science and medical staff who help them reach the best possible condition to perform, the coaching staff, analysts, and everyone involved behind the scenes. These next few weeks will require a huge collective effort from everybody inside the club. During the break, we welcome Jack Stevens, our captain, back into full training, which is a big moment for him and us, as Jack is a leader and has been a big miss on and off the pitch. It was also great to have Maya Yoshida back at Staplewood to train during his off-season with LA Galaxy. I hadn't met Maya before, but he's clearly a popular figure around the place with the staff and his former teammates, and I can see why. He's a good guy and a top professional who's welcome back any time. We returned to action on Saturday in a game of two halves at Huddersfield. At half-time, I was pleased with a lot of the work we'd done. Our domination with the ball, our intensity to win it back, the chances we created and the excellent goal we scored just before the break. By the end of the game, however, I was frustrated with how we played in the second half. And that's not just because we conceded a late equaliser when we should have been going home with the three points. I think we fell into the trap of feeling too comfortable in the game. Something that cost us in a similar fashion here against Rotherham last month. We're making improvements. Big improvements. And a nine-game unbeaten run is a really good form in the Championship. But we must become more ruthless to reach the level we strive to every single day. That means trying to score more goals and maintaining that first-half intensity for the entire 90 minutes. We will keep working as hard as we can to ensure this happens. We march on. St. Saw in Eagles Clash. Southampton FC women and Crystal Palace provided non-stop action in the Barclays Women's Championship at Selhurst Park as Saints snatched all three points from their promotion rivals. Mary and Spacey Kale's side pressed high from the off and some smart closing down from Molly Pike on the edge of the box saw Lucia Kendall with the first opportunity of the game, her left-footed shot collected by Palace keeper Demi Lamborn. Saints' pressure paid off in the 13th minute, though, when a cross into Rihanna Dean's feet was knocked back and, despite getting a defender's touch, the ball was seized by Pike, who made no mistake in slotting through the bodies into the back of the net. Celebrations didn't last long, however, as Palace showcased their ability to hit teams in attack, Amy Everett heading home a set-piece delivery just five minutes after Saints' opener. Determined not to have their bright start dampened by conceding, Saints continued their attrition of the Palace box, Rihanna Dean did well to control a wayward ball and lay it back to Kendall, who sent an effort flying over the bar just before the 20th minute. With the home side struggling to make it past the halfway line, Saints' pressure once again paid off. Another ball into the box ricocheted around both Saints and Palace players before Alan Morris rose above the pack to head a looping shot over the retreating Lamborn to restore their lead in the 23rd minute. Unfortunately for Saints, it was Palace who once again found an opening just before the half-time whistle, 
as a ball was farmed out to the left-hand side and slid back across the box where Elise Hughes made no mistake in sending it home first time. A frantic first half ended with two goals apiece and the game looking like it could go either way. Despite opportunities for Saints early in the second period, it was Palace who had the ball in the net next, as Parnell was adjudged to have fouled her player inside the box and Hughes converted from the spot. Spacer Kale made her first change of the game in the 70th minute, Alice Griffiths and Atlanta Plumas replacing Chloe Peplow and Pike. Griffiths had an instantaneous impact, heading a looping ball goalwards, but Lambourne was able to tip it onto the crossbar. Despite that initial stop, Palace hadn't evaded all danger, and the ball was still alive in the box. Saints did well to keep the attack rolling, and Dean came up trumps as she poked home in effort to put Saints back level at 3-3 in the 70th minute. Alexi Lloyd-Smith was Spacey Cowell's next change, replacing goalscorer Dean as Saints fought for all three points. And it was Lloyd-Smith who provided the perfect ball to Saints' number nine, Katie Wilkinson, shortly afterwards. A perfectly placed cross, which was nodded home expertly by Wilkinson, to give Saints a well-earned lead with five minutes remaining. Crystal Palace were unable to find a way through the resolute Saints defence, who provided a professional performance to see out the game. And it was a vital three points collected on the road. For everybody who's lived through the past 10 months as a saint, it's been a testing time. But perhaps that rings true even louder for James Bree, the man who arrived from Luton in January, only to see his new club leapfrogged by the one he'd left behind. Only now, as a key component of the team's unbeaten run, does the defender feel he's doing himself justice in the red and white stripes. It's hard to come away from a conversation with James Bree without willing him to succeed. The first 10 months of his Southampton career could hardly have been tougher, but the former Luton defender, for too long tainted by the results of the regime that recruited him, is currently enjoying a redemption arc fellow Yorkshireman Harry Maguire would be proud of. Saints are nine games unbeaten now, and Bree has started the last five of those, going about his business in typical, unassuming fashion, protecting the left flank as Kamaladeen Sulemana roams free in front of him. It's in keeping with his character, there's no ego whatsoever about the 25-year-old who is bang on time for the three o'clock appointment with the Saints media team at Winchester Hoxton's Bakehouse, a short walk from his home. Bree's career, already approaching a decade in senior football, has gradually taken him further south, from his Wakefield roots, where his family still reside, to Birmingham, Ipswich, Luton and now Southampton. It's not quite Wakefield, he says of his new home. I think it's completely different, but it's been a nice change really. Of all the places I've been, Winchester's probably the nicest and it fits me the nicest as well. Bree's modest nature is soon explained by his upbringing. His parents are sporting enthusiasts. I was always playing badminton with them. They played golf, they used to do everything. My mum was a PE teacher and my dad played rugby when he was younger, so it was just a mixture of all sports. It was his parents' approach to their son's prospects of playing football professionally that is most striking. Bree was a child prodigy. He was playing for Barnes' under-18s at 14 and made his championship debut at 16 years and 143 days, making him the club's second youngest player ever. But his sports-savvy parents were aware of the potential pitfalls and initially held him back. I joined the academy quite late, he explains. I was about 11, 12 years old. I didn't know until I was older, but my mum and dad wanted to keep me away from it a little bit. Just let me enjoy my football, playing with my friends. I'd been asked to go and train with clubs. I just always thought I wasn't good enough or they didn't want me. But it was a case of my mum and dad just wanted me to keep my head down. 
I was still young and I think that probably helped in the long run. Helped me to develop into what I am now. Soon after turning 19, he was signing for Aston Villa on a four and a half year deal after Barnes accepted a substantial fee from one of English football's grand old clubs. Bree describes his younger self as quiet and quite nervous, so it was a lot to take him. Obviously, I'd lived at home all the time. It was my first time living away by myself and it was in Birmingham city centre, which was completely different to where I was from. It was exciting and I was buzzing at the time. I wouldn't say I didn't enjoy it. It was an experience. I didn't go exactly how I wanted it to, but it was a big change. It was a dressing room full of experience and big names. It was strange to go into. Obviously, it was completely different to being at Barnsley. It's a huge club and one I'm very proud to say I've played for. Loan spells with Ipswich and Luton followed two years later, and it was at Kenilworth Road that Bree really found his home from home, initially under Graham Jones, who signed him before he was replaced by namesake Nathan, returning for a second spell in charge, who guarded Luton to safety with only one defeat in the last nine matches of the COVID-disrupted 2019-20 campaign. It was quite funny, really, because I remember back in COVID, we were all sat around on the AstroTurf and we had a Zoom meeting where we all got told that Nathan was coming back, he recalls. Obviously, quite a lot of the lads had worked for him before. But I remember sitting with them and the lad said to me, Breezy, I'll be honest, you're not going to like him. I was like, why? They said, you're so chilled out, can we bang on you? But obviously, it ended up being a nice match. Bree reveals it took him time to earn Jones's trust and a place in his plans, but his crossing ability from right wing back became a major weapon with two physical strikers in a 3-5-2 formation, making Luton a nightmare to play against as Jones built a team that just kept climbing the table. Our aim at the time was always, how can we push it? The first year that we got into the playoffs, we sat down on the first day of the season and we wrote out our goals and what we wanted to do, and it was playoffs. If you asked anyone else where we'd have been, they'd have probably been saying we were favourites to get relegated. So obviously we shocked everyone, but we knew with the quality and the people in the dressing room that we could do it. Just being there and playing consistently, probably for the first time since I was 18 or 19, it was just unbelievable for me. The group of lads they had there, the coaching staff, everything suited me down to the ground. I can't speak highly enough of Luton. It was unbelievable and I'm so happy for what they've gone and done. Bree ultimately left 11 weeks after Jones's November departure, knowing the team he left behind would continue to fire the odds, but the law of guaranteed Premier League football was too strong. The gaffer was always big on giving me confidence and he always said to me, you're a Premier League player, you've got the quality to go and do it. Whether it was following the gaffer or going somewhere else, that was something I was always aiming towards, he says. I spoke to all my family, I was speaking to my agent, my friends, just seeing what everyone felt, but just speaking to Nathan at the time, he was so confident in the squad that we had and what he could do to turn things around. And the opportunity to play Premier League football was something that was so tough to turn down. In football, it's a short career. It can change so quick, so you never know if that's your chance and if that will ever come again. Especially a team like Southampton, who had been in the Premier League for so long and had so much quality. I just felt it was something I've got to do. Bree had realised his dream after nearly a decade of graft since making his debut before he picked up his GCSE results. It can change so quick, he said, because he knows he lived it. 17 days later, James's tenure came to a premature end and Bree didn't start another game for three months. I played a few games under the gaffer and then Robin Sellers took over and it quickly became apparent to me that it wasn't going to be in his plans. That's when... 
he pauses. You never regret anything because I'd come to play in the Premier League and that's what I'd done. But it was a hard time. I wasn't really involved that much in training. I wasn't at the games. I was training by myself a lot of the time on Saturday mornings when obviously the lads had games and I was in. It was tough, especially when you've come down to a new place. I was in a hotel for a long time and you're not even really settled in anywhere. And then everything gets put up in the air. So it's just really tough, really. It was hard. When you look at the things and you look at the script and you see it in your head, when you get into it, it's always really different. And I think that was definitely one of the things I look back on. It's so far away from the squad and the team is like a new season, how things are going to be at the moment. Bree had left behind a tight-knit squad, punching above its weight, having the time of their lives to a team in freefall. The manner in which the season ended for his present and past employers could hardly have been more contrasting, as Saints failed to win in the last 13 games and were relegated with two games to spare. Luton, meanwhile, were unbeaten in the same period, not just reaching the playoffs for a second straight season, but finishing third before overcoming Sunderland over two legs and Coventry via a penalty shootout on a dramatic day at Wembley, as the club achieved the impossible, defying the odds to ultimately take Saints' place in the Premier League. Bree was asked whether he could stomach watching the final, given everything he'd gone through. His response speaks volumes. I went to Wembley and watched it, he smiles. We had Liverpool the next day and I was actually playing in that, but it was something I just didn't want to miss. I made friends there and friends for life and the people that I still speak to now and I was so close to all of that group. Even the staff that had come in once Nathan had gone who I'd worked with for a few months and I think it just felt right that I had to go and watch. A naturally easygoing character who seemingly takes everything in his stride, Bree admits his own four-month roller coaster came to a head from achieving his dream to losing his place, feeling unsettled and seeing his ex prosper. I remember as soon as Coventry... Missed the penalty. I just turned around. You know when emotion just hits you? I was crying. I wasn't sad. It was just happiness. But it was such a weird feeling that they'd gone on to do it. By now, Saints had confirmed the imminent departure of Sellers, offering Bree another new start, a chance to reset. But his recent renaissance had been a long time coming, even since the summer. He started the Carabao Cup tie at Gillingham in August, a 3-1 defeat that angered new manager Russell Martin. It was one of them that was up in the air. Bree readily admits he didn't know if he was coming or going and he was conscious of his status as Jones' signing. It was one of those things that I spoke to my family about before I came because we knew that the situation didn't turn around coming from Luton and coming from Nathan's old club. It looked like he was maybe bringing me in because I was his mate or whatever. He shrugs. I didn't feel like that inside because whether it was Southampton or somewhere else, I was confident I was going to get that move, but I think it was probably an easy thing to look at it and associate me with Nathan, especially when, as soon as he left, I wasn't really in the team, so I didn't get the chance to prove myself to the fan base and everyone else. With Carl Walker-Peters, an England international, Ryan Manning, a trusted ally of his new boss from Southampton, and for a period, Tino Livermento for company in the fullback positions, competition was fierce. Bree was still in a tight spot, and he knew it. It was a situation of... Finding out where I was in the pecking order, he reasons. Speaking to Russell Martin at the start, he was really happy with me. And later on, we had a discussion where it was like, right, you might become more of a backup and you need to push to get into the team. That's when conversations were had like, do I want to stay here and be back up or do I want to go out and play? When I knew that I was here for the season, when the transfer window had shut, 
It was just about getting myself in the best spot for whatever happens, wherever I was needed. It would take 11 weeks, that time period again, for Breed to start another game. His first in the league under Martin, having played just five minutes as a substitute in that time when Saints headed north to Preston on a Wednesday night in late October. Had Saints not rescued a point in six minutes out of time, and Gavin Bazunu caused carnage in the Preston box, who knows whether Bree would have stayed in the team. But he started every game since, and Saints are yet to lose a championship match with him in the side. Did I think I was going to be at left-back? Probably not, he shakes his head. I'd played there before, and I just thought, go out there, do your job, and see where it can take you, because Ryan Manning had been doing well up to that point, and obviously being suspended, so I just had to try and take my chance with both hands. What Bree has found this season is a different environment, more reminiscent of the dressing room in which he left so comfortable at Kenilworth Road. That feeling has been helped, he reveals, by the arrival of Mason Holgate. The pair were teammates from the Barnsley U Franks through to the first team and share a fascinating friendship. It's a classic case of opposites attract. He was always the loudest one in the dressing room at Barnsley when we were going through and it's not changed now, he laughs. I've known Mason since I was about 13, 14, so seeing him come into the dressing room was just class, really. That really helped me as well this year, just to really settle. It's been so much easier this year. I think the club is so much closer together. The changing rooms is a class vibe. and It's all just completely different. The first step for Bree, though, to prolong his upward curve is to stay in the side, with Manning, a natural left-sider, breathing down his neck in a hectic fixture schedule that makes rotation inevitable. Should he hold down his place, all that's left is to help Saints get back to where he found them. Where everything he's been through since he joined the club, few will want it more. It's something that I've been striving towards for ages. For the last three or four years, that's what I've been trying to do, he says. Now obviously, I'm in a different place at Southampton, but I think it's something that everyone here is united to do. We'd rather do it automatically and not have to go through the playoffs. I think that way would be a nicer way of doing it. Whichever way it comes... If we can do it, that day is going to be very special for me. Time now for your local lowdown. We asked opposition expert Ron Walker, Sky Sports journalist and Bristol City commentator, to preview tonight's game. This is Bristol City's ninth successive season in the Championship, with league finishes ranging from 8th to 19th in that time. How would you assess the club's progress? It's been a mixed bag overall. The highs of the 2017-18 season, setting second during the Christmas period, and the run to the Carabao Cup semi-finals were the high points. But since then, I think everyone would admit there have been some tough times. That said, the last few years have been steady growth, with a greater utilisation of the academy. The results on that front have been clear to see, with Alex Scott and Antoine Semenyo playing Premier League football and the likes of Tommy Conway and Sam Bell hopefully ready to do the business tonight. A lot of work has gone into improving infrastructure off the pitch, including the stadium and training ground, and average attendances have doubled over the past decade. How well set is the club to finally realise its Premier League dream? There's arguably never been a better time. Before Liam Manning's appointment, an out-of-work manager was waiting to go on set Sky, and when he was asked about the Bristol City job, the first thing he mentioned was the new training ground. The setup around the club is definitely Premier League level, and the 20,000-plus crowd City regularly pull in these days would only go one way if they can get to the promised land. Now, it's just about getting there. Nigel Pearson recently departed after two and a half years in charge. Was that a surprise? Nigel was a popular figure, so in some ways, yes. It did take a lot of people by surprise. 
But looking at what's happened since, with a very different style of appointment in coach who's out on the grass like Manning, it's clear he and the club had different visions about where things were going. From what we've seen at Oxford and MK Dons, Manning embodies the same faith in youth, but he'll be more involved on a day-to-day -day basis at the training ground and is someone we've seen hit the ground running, as he did in both those jobs. Manning has made a positive start as Pearson's successor, with four points from two games so far. Have there been any immediate tweaks to the team's approach? The big thing that you'd have to point out in the early weeks is the resilience. Throwing away a 2-0 lead against Middlesbrough on Saturday, but still having the character to dig deep and win 3-2, required the kind of grit the club hasn't been particularly known for over the last few years. Beyond that, it's still quite early to say. The lineup against Middlesbrough was only one difference to the one that beat Sheffield Wednesday in the final game before his appointment. Beyond that, the kind of front foot, high energy football that's been spoken about is exciting, but will take a little while to perfect. Which players are likely to be the key figures in his side moving forward? Tommy Conway scored 12 goals in all competitions last season, despite missing 12 league matches, and he's a serious fox in the box when he's on it. His goal at the weekend ended a mini drought, and he'll only take confidence from that. Further back, Taylor Garner-Hickenham is really taken to the number eight spot next to Matt James in recent weeks and scored a stunner at Middlesbrough on Saturday, but don't expect too many of those. Rob Dickey, who joined from QPR in the summer, has been a man-mountain at the back so far and is a real danger from set-pieces and he's already scored two winning goals from corners. And finally, how will City approach tonight's game and how do you see it playing out? The focus will certainly be on solidity more than it has been against QPR and Middlesbrough, with the aim of catching Southampton on the break with the pace of Conway and Sam Bell if he's given the nod on the left. Jason Knight normally plays as a 10, but it might be more of a 4-3 tonight to shake things up in midfield and stop Saints playing through City. That said, City have shown what they can do with the ball by scoring three against Middlesbrough, so they now have reason to be confident of causing a surprise. I'll go for a 1-1 draw.